Um, some of you really are looking forward to Thanksgiving, and uh, this morning as we get into our 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 message, continuing in our series, uh, Life Starts Now, we're going to talk about family. And when you think Thanksgiving, family is often what comes to mind. There are, uh, most of you, like, are really looking forward to that. There's a handful of you who are sort of dreading Thanksgiving Day and Thanksgiving dinner just because it's drama and it's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, want to deal with that. And, you know, like they say, you, you, uh, you can't choose your family. But what if you could? What if you could choose your family? What if your real family isn't limited to those who share your DNA? I'm not talking about abandoning or rejecting your relatives. The Apostle Paul told Timothy this. He says, those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Paul was addressing a situation where people were making an excuse not to care for their immediate family. Family language is important in the Bible, and it's always gone beyond genetics. Right, we're referred to, believers in Jesus are referred to as the family of God. Israel is the family of Abraham and the family of God. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 is this, that God is the father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families and he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. That's how God works. Family is important in scripture. And here's the good news. Jesus wants you in his family. Jesus wants you and his family. And in, in the passage we're about to read in Mark chapter 3, you can start finding that right now. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll turn to that in just a moment. In Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13, we're going to see how Jesus redefines family as those who share his mission of pursuing the will of God. And so if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Mark chapter 3. We're in the New Testament, second book in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. And we're just going to stand together out of respect for God's Word. If you're able to stand with me as we read Mark chapter 13, I'm going to read right to the end of the chapter. Kind of a long passage, so uh, if you need to be seated along the way, that's fine. But Jesus has, has uh, he's been at the synagogue. He healed someone there. And then uh, the crowds really begin to follow him. They're just really pressing in on him all the time. And in verse 13, it says this. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles or sent ones. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. And these are the 12 he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, also called Jude or Judas, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. And one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. And soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. And Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate further. 
Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Verse 28, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. And he told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him and they stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside, they're asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. We thank the Lord for his word today. Let's be seated together. Jesus spoke truth. He always did. And he loved people. And he he didn't deliberately offend them, but he didn't protect people from the impact of his words. I want to start at the beginning, back here where he chose the 12 apostles. The list might be seem rather arbitrary. You've got a handful of fishermen. You've got Matthew, the former tax collector, and he became an author you got this right-wing nationalist, Simon the Zealot. You've got a, a few unknowns. You've got Bartholomew, probably also called Nathaniel, and, and he's a bit of a Bible study nut. Uh, you've got, of course, Judas, the betrayer. You've got all these guys together who really did not belong together and would not have been together under any other circumstances. And it just seems random in a way. I mean, why such ordinary people? Acts chapter Force is a, there's a comment about the disciples that they were ordinary, unschooled men, just regular guys. Well, obviously, Jesus saw men who were teachable and yet independently capable. These guys were doers, guys who knew how to run a business, guys who were who could get their hands dirty, who could work with people, who could who, guys who had a passion to get things done, passion for a cause. They just need to be gathered up and pointed in the right direction. They were doers. And Jesus would transform these active doers from interested followers into apostles on a journey of discipleship. Well, what's discipleship? If you're taking notes this morning, if you use one of our notebooks, by the way, we make a notebook available. If you if you want to take notes along through the message series, we still have some at the Connection Center, about five bucks. You just get one of those, you can take notes along for the day. Uh, we, we say discipleship is this. Discipleship is training for action. Discipleship is training for action. Imagine that that uh, that you play on a soccer team. And, uh, you're on a, you, you just love being on your team. You got just really good players and, and, uh, you get, you just have the best field to practice on and you, you just really work the drills and you, you just really make sure you kind of understand the rules and, and how things work and, and you just have the, kind of the highest quality soccer balls and just, just everything about this. Your uniforms are amazing, you know, and you, you just really like pat each other on the back and encourage each other. There's only, only one problem with this soccer team that you're on. You never play any games. You're not in a league. You never compete. But you keep going to practice and you, you, you just, you just keep working those drills and, and looking good. But you never play. You never compete. It'd be absurd. Because you only practice for game time action. And I wonder 
if maybe that's a little bit of what's happened in American evangelical Christianity, American evangelical version of following Jesus, that some of us were told that discipleship is just having lots of Bible knowledge, lots of working the drills and practice, and and and, and you got to find a church that has your flavor. And then, I think that would be tragic if that was what we were taught—that it was just about learning more and hanging out together. Because there's a key here, verses 14 and 15. It says, Jesus appointed the twelve of them and he called them his apostles and they were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. He would send them out. Game time. Active. Not just hanging back. Discipleship is training for action. And for those apostles, those particularly those twelve but also the others who were following him. Following Jesus would be a daily preparation of the ministry that was to come for them. Making the good news known. Setting people free from oppression. Preaching the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus invites you into the same thing. Because as believers were filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In this new family that we're invited to, it's it's new brothers and it's new sisters and it's the people who are seeking to do what God is equipping us to do by faith in Jesus. And I wonder if you are allowing Jesus to train you for action. And of course, there's a good chance that action is going to lead to conflict. So Jesus encountered, there was conflict. Look again at verses 20 in following 20 to 22. He says, uh, Jesus entered the house. The crowds began to gather. And as soon as disciples, they couldn't find time to eat. I mean, just going nonstop. And his family heard what's happening. And they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind. The teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. It's crazy. This is how people dismiss you, right? When when something important is happening in your life, they either say, Oh, you're, you're crazy or you're, 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 you know, you're out of your mind or you're demon possessed or... But I want you to recognize that these critics were not really in touch with who Jesus is. I mean, the religious leaders had come, we would say they'd come down from Jerusalem, although Jerusalem is south, and they'd, by the map, come up. But when it's Jerusalem, everything from Jerusalem is down. And if you go to Jerusalem, it's always up. That's how you understand Jerusalem. It's always up to Jerusalem and down everywhere else. And his family, they're outside the house, they're... We could say it this way. Critics are usually on the outside. Your critics are usually on the outside. People who criticize you when you're on the right track, they do so because they're on the outside. They don't know you. They don't know your motives. They don't know your heart. They're outside of your relationship circle, outside of your mission. That's the most important one. They're outside of any effort to understand or encourage you. They... they they're on the outside, and so that's why they criticize. They're quick to be offended. They're quick to play the victim. They're quick to be hurt. And you think about this. You, you want to do something good in your life. You want to change your diet, or you want to go back to school, or you want to start a business, or you're going to do something that's different and new, and someone close to you says, you can't do that. That's a dumb idea. Why would you bother? That'll never work. These are people, your critics are outside of what's going on in here, what God's stirring in here. 
They might actually believe they're helping you. I'm going to spare you the bother. I'm going to spare you the trouble. But they're outside of the vision, the destiny that God is stirring inside of you. Some of you have a, a son or daughter who's thinking about ministry, thinking about the mission field, thinking about, and you're, and you're like, oh, that's a, that's a crazy idea. You're outside of what God's doing. You're outside of the destiny that God's placed in them. If you, if you're experiencing that, that criticism, you, you're gonna have to ignore it. You're going to have to ignore that criticism if those folks aren't going to get on board with you. Because here's a, here's a great irony that Jesus faced. The ones who should have been closest and most supportive, his biological family, they were the ones who were the, calling him crazy. Like, his very family. See, he's, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. I mean, think about your, your, one of your siblings or one of your parents saying, Brian's out of his mind. Like, what does that do for you? That is, that is not that helpful. And they were close, but they were outsiders. On the other hand, you've, you've got the, you know, this idea that, you know, the closer you get to Jesus, the less you're bothered by who's doing what in ministry. You don't worry too much about the particulars of, of doctrine or, you know, you become less of an issues-driven person and more of a Jesus-driven person, regardless of who's doing the ministry. And as you move forward, Toward a committed life in, in Jesus, you're going to find that the very ones who ought to support you sometimes will turn on you. And it hurts. But I would say this, the best response to criticism is to stay on mission. If God's placed something in your heart, stay on it. Keep going. The best response to criticism is to stay on mission. Maybe Jesus called you to something long, long ago. You were going to Go to the mission field or you were going to train, uh, train for some, something different. You're going to go back to school or you're going to, God had given you a dream. You're going to get involved in prison ministry or some, something that you're going to do and it slipped away and, because people were criticizing you. Ah, that, that's a bad idea. That'll never work. You need to get back on mission. Reject that criticism. And while the family said to Jesus that he's nuts, the criticism of the religious leaders is worse, much worse, because they're accusing him of acting on behalf of Satan. You see that in verses 22 and following. He's possessed by Satan, they said. See, their critique doesn't even make sense, and Jesus calls them out on it. It's like, you guys, think about what you're saying. Why would the devil cast out demons? Right? Why would he destroy his own kingdom? The devil always seeks to bring death and destruction and chaos and conflict. Jesus comes to bring life and wholeness and hope and healing and deliverance. And so the only way that Jesus can command the demons to leave is by having a power greater than the devil. And the devil will never deputize with someone with greater power than himself. You, you, you see what's happening here? So the, the criticism against Jesus is absolute nonsense except that it's worse than nonsense it's an unpardonable sin jesus says i remember this was a you know a really good bible college topic for debate some very earnest young you know freshman 
show up, say, they'd read a passage like this and say, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Have I committed an unpardonable sin? How would I know? Like, what if I did this and I didn't realize it? I, I, I can respond to that. Historically, some Christians have gotten worked up out of I, I would say, first of all, if you're worried about committing an unpardonable sin, you haven't. I mean, if your heart is soft to that at all, don't worry about it. Secondly, Jesus is addressing a sustained posture of cynicism and resistance, rebellion, blasphemy toward the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time act, you know, out of frustration or doubt. And those, thirdly, I would say that those who would attribute the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So deliverance, salvation, new life, healing, and so on. Those who would attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil, honestly, would not care about any sort of unforgivable, unpardonable sin. So if you're concerned about it, you're fine. If you could care less, well, maybe think about that. So yes, those who criticize you might be close to you, but they're really outsiders. They're really outside of what God's calling you to. Outside to the mission of the gospel. Outside to meaningful, outside of meaningful relationship. Outsiders to this new work that God's doing in you. Some of you are experiencing a new work in your life. That has nothing to do with your age. Some of you, God's stirring something fresh. Some, some of you feel like there's something awakening in you. You find yourself like leaning in a little bit more than you have in the past with when we worship or when you're in doing your devotions. You're like, huh, this is interesting. Yeah, God's stirring something new in you. Something fresh is developing. People can see it. It's exciting. It's encouraging to the people around you who want to be on mission with you. And then there's others who are going to keep criticizing you for that. Just ignore them. Stay on mission. Because Jesus has really good news for you. And it's this. Jesus has a better family for you. Jesus has a better family for you. Jesus, your mom wants to see you. Your brothers, are, they, they want you to come out here and they want to talk to you. We all say, Jesus, don't do it. It's a trap. All right. Jesus has this amazing way of diffusing the situation. And, and we, we would say, Jesus, that's kind of a f- offensive a little bit. Did you know that getting offended is a choice? It's always a choice. I have to, in my life, say, I'm going to choose not to be offended. You know, this last couple of weeks, I mean, some stuff's happened in my life where I could just easily have been hurt, offended, whatever. It's a choice. i got people that, you know, my life in the past that have been mad at me and I didn't even know what I did. It's It, it happens. And so Jesus... Jesus gives them the opportunity to be offended. I think they might have been. And Jesus chose not to be offended by them. He's just not about to be thrown off by their demands. He's, he's got great boundaries, Jesus does. He knows what he's about. He knows what he's called to do. Verses 34 and 35, he says, after looking around at those around him, look, he says, these are my mother and my brother's. Anyone who does 
God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And for you who have been, you know, if you're somebody who's been really hurt and you've been disappointed by your natural family, by your biological family, I want to tell you, Jesus invites you into his. He invites you into his family. He'll be your big brother. If you'll make God's will your priority. See, in the kingdom of God, spiritual family trumps natural family every time. Because it's eternal. You have your family here in this life. And when you're, when you're done, when you die, you don't have your family anymore. You're welcomed into your eternal home and your eternal family. And so when your biological family demands things of you that are going to pull you off mission, pull you away from what God's calling you to do, calling you away from things that ways God's called you to serve, you're allowed to say no. Family sometimes can make it tough, too, to take those next steps with God because they know you so well. (laughs) They know what you were like. They know the character you were when you were younger. They know it when you lose your temper, when you do things that you shouldn't do. They, they see all that and you sense that God's wanting to stir something fresh in you and you, you kind of want to lean in and worship or you want to take leadership or just kind of move forward in your life and you feel that their eyes burning holes in the back of your head thinking, I, not, not her, not him. I know what they're really like. So sometimes it can be, be tough to move forward when you're, Surrounded by your own family spiritually. Don't worry about those who don't want to move forward with you. But be with those who do want to move forward with you. Be with those who want to do the will of God with you. Then there's a another layer to this. That we who are already followers of Jesus. We need to make sure that we are embracing other newer brothers and sisters of Jesus. For example, here... Let's say when we gather here at church or another kind of church type event, don't just say hello to somebody at the door and then ignore them the rest of the time. Going back to our kind of usual comfortable circles and friends. We, when you meet someone new, here's, here's a tip. When you meet someone new, invite them to sit with you or you can include them in a conversation you're having or invite them to go for lunch if that's what you do. Just, just include them. Don't talk about, when you're doing that, don't talk about insider stuff. Oh yeah, remember way back when so-and-so did that funny thing? And Save that for some other time. That's not necessary. Include them. Ask them if maybe they'd like you to introduce them to other people. Ask them how you can be helpful. Think about what it's like to be a guest at someone else's family reunion. Just think about that for a moment. Maybe the first year you married into a family and then you went to the big extended family and you were the outside spouse, the outlaw in-law. Oh my goodness, so awkward. Remember the first time my wife visited my family when we were dating? One of the most awkward days of our life, probably. Super awkward. Think about that and then don't make it like that for someone who's new. How about that? We can do a much, you know, a great job of including friends the reality is that, that God's family is a good family. In fact, I want to invite the worship team. We're going to sing a closing song in a minute here. God's family is a good family. Not perfect. Oh my goodness, are we not perfect? We make mistakes. Like any family, we have conflicts. We have misunderstandings. We have missed opportunities. 
where we've been critical and easily offended, we need to repent. We need to make that right. But it's a good family because God is good. You notice when Jesus talks about these brothers and sisters and mother, he never mentions fathers because we have one father. God's our good father and our good father is, is the one who welcomes us to be brothers and sisters to Jesus. It's a family that's that's not to be critical, but to be a ref it should be a place where we're a refuge from the critics. We have a, the best older brother we could ask for. It's a place where we're to feel protected. It's an active family because that discipleship is training us for action. It's one of the one of the sweet things that happens when a family gathers is we we remind each other of things that have happened that have been good. This coming spring, where I have a plan to, our plan is to go visit my family. My dad's having a significant birthday, and and uh, I know that when our little family gathers, we're going to share a bunch of stories of past things, and we're probably mostly going to focus on the good stuff. At least I hope so. And one of the things that happens when we gather, for example, when we're in worship, we get to remind each other of who Jesus is, our older brother, and the good things that God has done. That's a, that's a blessing to be able to do that. That's a privilege to be able to have a place to do that. In fact, we're going to do that now in this song we're going to sing. But lastly, I want to say, if you are not in the family of God yet, if you've never trusted Jesus for salvation, it's pretty simple. You can think about it like an ABC where you admit, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need salvation. I need forgiveness. Where we say, I'm going to be is to, to believe. I believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the one who died for my sin and rose again. And the C is to commit my life to follow Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit and start a new life. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The Bible says that God loved you so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we get to be welcomed and invited into the family of God by faith. We'll be we stand together as we pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for these strange episodes of Jesus encountering family members and misguided religious leaders. Lord, we do not want to be those people. We do not want to be throwing people under the bus, calling them crazy, calling them demon-possessed. We do not want to be attributing to the devil the work of the Holy Spirit. We do not want to ever do that. We want to be excited about the things that you're doing. We want to be encouraging to what we see you doing in other people. We want to be a family that welcomes new family members well. We want to be a family that, that loves to spend time with our older brother, Jesus. As we worship our Father, we give you our praise. In your name we pray. Amen.